Again, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for time you've given us together to be here. Thank you for these folks and their faithfulness to you. I pray that today I'll be uh, an encouragement to them as they continue to serve you and this community here in Wentworth. And I pray you just uh, make their uh, testimony, their light uh, shine even greater as they are faithful to you. I pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, if you would, turn your Bible to First or Second Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. As we go through this passage uh, together today, you're going to notice that there are at least five times where uh, someone is either being described as being blind or that they're giving, given special eyesight. So there's a lot to be said in this passage about sight. And so we entitled this message, Open My Eyes, or uh, as it says on the screen there, the spiritual blindness in Dothan. I think you all realize right now more than any time else in our country's history and even your personal history that there are things that you cannot see that impact your life. Uh, there are little viruses running around, and we don't know where they are. We can't see them. Uh, they are so small they can fit through our masks that we, we wear, and we wear those masks sometimes to, to help others feel secure around us and be safe. We can't see them. We don't know where they are. We don't know the next uh, uh, the person we shake their hand or we, what we get close to, where uh, that invisible virus we cannot see will impact our lives. Our military uses night scope vision so they can have the advantage on the battlefield. There are unseen computer viruses. There's cholesterol we can't see in our blood that may affect us. Uh, there are unseen cancers, uh, maybe in our body, we don't have no idea about. But when they're discovered, they can create an impact on our lives. But a, so a blind person can't see what's coming. He can't read the warnings. But spiritual blindness is even more dangerous because uh, it handicaps us and affects believers as well as non-believers. And so we'll see from this passage how the Lord instructs us about the many dangers of spiritual blindness. So we see the, the, the danger of spiritual blindness. It is a danger. But the first danger, though, is that blindness can cause frustration. You ever felt frustrated? Uh, the, uh, the definition of frustration is realizing there's a lack of progress or maybe because of ignorance. When people close their eyes to obvious facts, you face frustration and lack of progress. You ever walk through a house at night after you rearrange the furniture? It can cause frustration. I know my, my dog, uh, my dog is blind and pretty much deaf. Every once in a while I see him kind of wandering around. He's trying to find me because he knows my smell. And he, he'll walk through a room and he'll walk through four or five rooms and he'll run into things. And, uh, he, but his nose begins to be in pain until finally he, he smells me and he'll, and he'll, he'll relax and, and sit down. He's pretty a frustrated life, I can imagine, not being able to see. And he only kind of moves around by smell. Imagine trying to solve a complex, complex math problem. Those of you who deal with engineering and your computer breaks down or your, your calculator doesn't work or you don't know which functions to use and you try to figure out a math problem and it just it frustrates you because you can't figure it out because 
maybe ignorance on how to use a machine you have or lack of it. But the greatest frustration I think all of us would ever feel, uh, people in our world are probably feeling now, is that they're trying to live in a world that God has created and they don't know him or know, know about him or his purposes for what is happening in this world. We're going to see, first of all, there's a Syrian king who does not sense the goodness of God. Again, look in verse 8. Again, 2 Kings 6, verse 8, it says, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servant, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. Now, this Syrian king is Ben-Hadad. And we ask, well, why is he attacking Israel in this verse? Well, Ben-Hadad has a long history. If you remember back through the, the, the months that I've been preaching here through uh, the story of Elisha, uh, you've probably recognized his name. Um, twice he was defeated by Ahab in battle. First time he came with over 100,000 troops, uh, overwhelming force, and Ahab was ready to surrender until Ben-Hadad said, well, I want to up the thing a little bit. I want to take my men, have them walk through your city and take whatever they want. And Ahab finally said, nah, I can't do that. I'm not going to allow that. So uh, Ben-Hadad ready to attack. But God, through just 7,000 little bureaucrats that uh, Ahab sent in a battle, expecting to see them slaughtered, defeated them and overwhelmed their force. So he came back in the spring of that very same year, and, and Ahab's army killed 127,000 of his men. And Ben-Hadad had to grovel at Ahab's feet for mercy. But Ahab let him escape. We go back to chapter 5. It says, he said to him, Thus says the Lord, because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man whom I have appointed to utter destruction, therefore thy life shall go for his life, and thy people for his life. Again, Ahab had let Ben-Hadad go, and a prophet came to him and told him this. You let him go, but this was a man that I had slated for absolute destruction. Now, if Ben-Hadad had known that, would he have been able to be thankful for the goodness of God in his life? This was a man that God had appointed to death, but he received mercy from God. And this, this frustration may have been compounded. Not only did he, should he have seen the goodness of God in his life being spared, he'd also seen his, his head general, Naaman, who had been healed of his leprosy and, and had come back and was able to, to again lead his troops into victory. And he should have known that there was a good God in Israel that had, in long distance, had provided healing for Naaman as he dipped into the water. He should have been humbled by the goodness of God. You know, why ever wonder why God humbles people? Well, it's God's goodness that humbles us. Every once in a while, we have to eat humble pie. You ever, you ever had that? A great dessert to have. Every once in a while, we have to eat it. And we're like, well, well our, our pride gets kind of muffled a little bit. But it's God's goodness that actually humbles us. It, sometimes it teaches us how to respond to him better in faith. You see, pride repels us from God. Doesn't James 4, 6 say God resists or he holds back, he, he pushes back against the proud? 
He even causes their destruction. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But it's God's goodness that desires grace instead of our destruction. James 4, 6 again says, God gives what? Grace unto the humble. He shovels his grace to us when we humble ourselves before him. Quoting that very same truth, Peter describes how humbling a man really shows that God cares for him. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. We sometimes forget that those two verses are linked. We kind of read verse 7 a lot. We don't know what it's, its context. But here's God saying, oh, I'm going to humble you in my goodness, and when I humble you, then you can come to me and give me all your cares, and I care for you. Every one of us has a choice of either being humbled or being humble. (laughs) Which will it be for us? Humble ourselves or will God have to humble us? We need to make that choice. So how does God continue to show his goodness, though, to this Ben-Hadad? Well, he also frustrates his plans. Remember what he said, in such and such a place shall be my camp. That was his pronouncement. We're going to go into Israel, take over some of their property, and no one will do anything about it. Do you want to make God laugh sometimes? You ever make God laugh? Tell him your plans. God, here's what I want to do for my life, and here's what I want to be, and here's what I want to go, and uh, all my plans, here are my plans, Lord. Just, just give me an A-OK on my plans. God may laugh at us and say, no, I have better plans for you. I have different plans, but they're my plans. But instead of showing humility, Ben-Hadad is frustrated every turn. Every time he tells his men, here, here, let's go camp here. He's frustrated because God tells Elisha where that camp is. So how do we respond to God's goodness and God's grace? Do we just take God's goodness and say, boy, boy, I'm such a good person. (laughs) Boy, I know God must love me because look at all the good things that are happening to my life. But it's God's goodness that brings us to a place of where we humble ourselves before him. I mean, how do you respond when trials come that may humble you? What's your response to that? Do you get angry? you get frustrated? (laughs) get bitter? Do you believe that it's God's goodness that wants to bring you to a place of humility, which is God's goodness to you? But there's another king in this story who is frustrated, and it's the Israelite king. Look at verse 9 and 10. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, And he saved himself there, not once nor twice. It must have been a couple of times. Now, who is this king? This is Jehoram. This is Ahab's son. Uh, He seems to be pathetically weak in his kingship. We go back to 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, It said that when Naaman would come in, Naaman would come in with a number of raids. It was over and over and over again that Naaman and his children would come in and and nip around the edges of Israel as if there was... You know, no one to to, uh, repel their attacks. Here's a weak king, uh, even capturing a little girl eventually that went back to to Naaman and his household. This seems to indicate there are many other raids besides these. 
And even after Naaman's healing, those raids seem to continue. In fact, they are getting more bold. Not only are they making raids, but the king of Ben-Hadad is actually planning to occupy territory. He said, I'm going to come in and make my camp. We've all heard about the people in Seattle who are making a camp, who are occupying territory in the middle of their city. And we're, people seem to be frustrated and, and perplexed about this. And, well, who's, and the, the police and the government's like, well, are we going to allow this to happen or not? And, and it's going to happen in more states if something doesn't happen. We know that. That's causing frustration on a lot of people's parts. But here's probably frustration on the Israel's king. He's, he's, he notices that the Menhadad is not just making any raids anymore. He's coming in and setting up camps on Israelite territory. And he doesn't seem to be doing anything, doing anything about it. Well, what would you do if you were Jehoram? Well, you're a practicing Baalite. Uh, you believe in Baal. He was not following God. And so probably he went to the, the Baal temple and prayed to Baal. Did that do any good? Well, not at all. It didn't do any good at all. He could have gone to Elisha. He should have known that Elisha had power from God. Naaman's had been healed, and, and the Israelite king was all part of that. He, well, he, and he would have known that maybe Elisha would have some knowledge for him. And Instead of going to Elisha, though, in God's goodness, God sends Elisha to him and says, here, in such and such a place, this, this, is where, this is where the Syrians are going to camp. Make sure your troops avoid that area so you don't, they don't get hurt. And so they do. Again, back to verse 9. Beware they'll pass such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. But here's another frustrated part of this man's life. He doesn't seem to believe what Elisha is telling him. What does he do in verse 10? Well, he sent to the place where the man had told him. He sends some of his spies to go to that place just to see if what, just to kind of verify what Elisha was saying. He didn't believe Elisha. He wanted to check it out himself. And every time he checked it out, he found out that Elisha's words were absolutely true. He verified and checked out that intelligence every time. Again, he did not want, though, to rely upon the wisdom of Elisha. He wanted to boast on his own wisdom. He would, he would, his spies would come back and he'd be able to say, hey guys, don't go there because my spies found. I'm sure he wasn't telling everybody, Elisha came and told me. Didn't want to make it sound like God was helping him. He was doing it himself. Not wanting to rely upon the wisdom of God. Whenever you place your, your wisdom though above the wisdom of God, you can expect frustration. Selfish, worldly wisdom cannot create the progress or allow your frustration to disappear. The scripture is clear. 1 Corinthians 1, 19, 40 is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Verse 20 says, Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Proverbs 1, 7, Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And the Bible even, even says in the Psalms, that sometimes God may have to shame us into seeking his wisdom. Psalm 83, verse 16 to 18 says, Fill thy faces, fill their, fill their faces with shame, that they may seek thy name. Let them be confounded and troubled forever. Yea, let them be put to shame and perish 
that men may know that thou whose name alone is Jehovah art the most high over all the earth. Do you realize maybe sometimes that God is shaming you and causing frustration in your life just for the purpose of encouraging you to come to him where you'll be best satisfied anyway. So how do you respond to the wisdom of God he's given to in your life? Do you trust it? Do you obey it? When you read the word of God, do you follow it? Or do you just, eh, I'll follow it if I want to, or let me check it out. Let me see if it'll work or not. Instead, we should obediently follow what God tells us. Hope we don't question it or doubt it, because those things will cause frustration. Seek for the wisdom that is from above, the Bible tells us, so that we would know how to live below. That's what God gave it to us. But there's another opportunity for frustration in this story. Let me go back to the Assyrian king because he did not consider the knowledge of God. So they didn't consider the goodness of God, did not consider the wisdom of God, and now they're not considering the knowledge of God. Look at verse 11. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore trouble. Again, see the frustration in this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us for the king of Israel? There's got to be a spy among us, he's thinking. And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. Somehow there must have been a spy in the palace from Syria who was going back and telling the Syrian uh, intelligence officers what was going on in the very palace in Israel. So somehow Elisha is coming to them and telling the king everything you're saying in your bedchamber. And so what does the king say? He gets frustrated. He says, go and spy where he is that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, behold, he's in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host that they might come by night and encompass the city about. Again, Ben-Hadad is, is greatly troubled or sore troubled by the fact that Israel's getting tipped off every time he sets up a camp. He's certain there must be a spy somewhere in, 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 my, in my entourage. But it wasn't anyone in Syria's entourage. That was the spy or was guilty. He was shocked to find that it was Elisha, the prophet that was in Israel, that was telling the king everything that was happening in his bedchamber. Again, this man is ignorant of the omniscient, all-knowing God of Elisha. And he believes that Elisha is responsible for spilling the beans on all of his raids. But had he not from Naaman the knowledge about the power of Elisha's God who had healed him even long distance with water, what if Ben-Hadad had decided to bow his knee to this God of Elisha and end his military campaigns? Would God have preserved him? And that's not what he does. In frustration, what does he do? He, he angrily orders Elisha to be captured. He sends all of his troops. Again, this is the third time he sent a, a, a large number of troops into Israel. The first two times utterly defeated. This time he was anger over Elisha. He does it again. Again, if you can get rid of Elisha, then all will be well. And he'll be able to continue his reign of terror in Israel. Once he discovers his location, his spies come back and say, Behold, he's in Dothan. 
and he assembles his army, and he risks, again, his full army, not just in little raids on the edges. He now has to go into the very center of Israel. Dothan is only 10 or 12 miles from the capital city of Samaria. And so by night, he surrounds Dothan for an early morning assault to capture Elisha and to bring him back to Syria and execute him. But even this is foolishness. Now, if Elisha knew what the king was saying in his bedchamber, don't you think he knew that Syria was coming after him? And, and, and he still goes. You know, this, is, this is foolishness. Again, his pride and his refusal to understand the knowledge of God causes even greater humiliation in the future. See, God is working to break Ben-Hadad's pride, but Ben-Hadad refuses to bow. So what does God know about you? That maybe might cause shame if others knew it. Wouldn't it be better to confess that sin before it becomes public shame? And as it, as it happened in Ben-Hadad's life, Proverbs 4.19 says, The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. We should also take the wisdom that David gave to Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28.9, where he said, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart, and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts, and understandeth all the imagination of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee, but if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Will you seek him? knowing that he knows about your plans? See, the knowledge of God can help solve your frustrations. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear thou not, don't be frustrated. <laughs> I am with thee, be not dismayed. For I am thy God, I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, I will uphold thee with the right hand of thy righteousness. We're not in this alone. If you have Jesus as your Savior and God as your Father... Well, he's there with you. He's going to help you, uphold you with his right hand of his righteousness. If you know Christ, if, you know, if you're following him, you shouldn't be frustrated. We're in a strange world right now, and a lot of frustrated people around us. But we don't need to be frustrated. We know what God is, who God is, what he's doing, and why he's doing it. He's given us his word. It's all for his glory. Let's follow his will and obey his word. So we see that spiritual blindness can cause frustration. But it can cause something else, even something even more drastically. We've seen this again. It can cause panic. Spiritual blindness is not only a danger to the unsaved, but it's also a danger to us who know Christ as Savior. Elisha's servant is in danger because of spiritual blindness. Look at verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 15. And he said, And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host encompassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Can you hear the servant's voice? Alas, my master, how shall we do? Can you hear the panic? See, there's not only blindness in the Syrian camp, there's blindness in Elisha's house. The servant was blind to the spiritual realities of God's power and presence. 
And he rose early in the day, probably to do his daily duties to, to prepare food and meals and, and take care of all the details for Elisha's life as he was his servant. And Elisha, probably being an older man and, and spending a great deal of time of studying, preparing himself to serve God, this servant did all the menial tasks for him. And Pi was getting out early in the morning, and uh, he must have been living on a, a house that was near the wall or on the wall of the city. And he, he sneaks out of the house, maybe just as the sun is rising, uh, to get the water, maybe, and get, maybe to get some food for Elisha's breakfast. And his eyes get really big. He looks out, and he sees you know, on the hill, instead of the green hills he's used to seeing, he's seeing horses and chariots and soldiers. And he hears the sound of, a, of, of, of the horses snorting and, and the angry men ready to fight. They had been walking all day, and now they're ready for a battle. One task, get Elisha, was their job. So he runs in and tells his master, How, what shall we do? He wakes him up. Again, this spiritual blindness causes him to misunderstand. He's not seeing the spiritual realities of God's power. So we, first of all, we see the servant did not understand the power of God. I personally believe that Elisha knew exactly where the Syrian army was. Since God had told him all the different raids and camps, I'm sure Elisha was very much aware that what his servant would find when he went outside that day. Elisha was aware the Syrians were, were there looking for him. He may have even traveled to Dothan to get closer to Samaria to be prepared for what God had for him. And because he knew the truth about God's power, Elisha was at peace. And so he answered, verse 16, he said, I fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now there's a spiritual truth that we ought to trumpet daily. And more is more with us than with them. This is something the servant couldn't see yet. He was blind to it. So there is a spiritual truth and there is a physical reality of our life. There's a reason why we never need to panic as believers in God. Because he's always there, always with us. And his army is always protecting us. There's a power that the servant could not see that was available to him. You know, why do we panic sometimes? Well, we forget the power that God is able to bring to any situation. God can change the skin of Naaman. He can heal a poisonous stew. He can multiply bread. He can even raise an axe head out of the water. But to the servant, this was bigger. I'm sure you've seen the commercial about the ark you got to think bigger. <laughs> and that's exactly what Elisha was doing. He was thinking bigger. We need to think bigger too. Again, in this situation of crisis, unbelief refuses to believe that there is any other factor than what our eyes can see. We must believe by faith. What do we believe? Well, 1 John tells us there is Someone who is greater that is in you than he that is in the world. Psalm 147.5, great is our Lord and of great power. David understood this as he faced Goliath. Goliath's sword and spear were no match for David because he came to the battle in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. And he wasn't talking about Saul's army. He was talking about the army in heaven he knew was above him. 
there in that valley of Elah, there was something more powerful than a giant. And in our little lives, what we live here in Wentworth and Rumney and Plymouth, there is something much more powerful than a virus. There is something much more powerful than an army. Uh, We have the God of hosts with us. But there is something else the servant didn't know. He didn't know about the power of God, but he also didn't know about the presence of God. He needed to have eye surgery, spiritual eye surgery. He had spiritual cataracts that had to be removed. Look at verse 17. So Elisha prayed. is isn't always good. There's always a, a, a man of God around to pray when there's a trial. Hopefully you're that person. When, there's a, when panic shows up, do people come to you because they know that you can pray? Uh, Elisha was that man. He prayed, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Could you imagine his eyes getting really, really big like like saucers as his eyes were open to their spiritual realities around him? Thankfully, Elisha was a man of prayer who could ask for things. And the Lord opened his eyes and answered his prayers. And when the servant's eyes were opened, he saw the reality of God's powerful presence. Hovering ominously over and around the heads of the Syrians was the fiery chariots of the Lord of hosts. His spiritual sight changed his panic into joy. God, God was gracious to allow him to see what no one else could see. But was God there? There was all these chariots and fire, but was God there? I believe so. You see, when Moses saw a flame in the, in the wilderness, who was it? It was God. When the children of Israel saw a flaming pillar of fire at night, that was God. We can also claim the presence of God's power in our own lives. Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel Lord encamps around about them that fear him and delivereth them. It's good to know we have angels around us. Now, some of us need more angels than others. Uh, An angel protected me this last week. I was uh, going down to Manchester with some folks in our church, and uh, I noticed a car on the left uh, started to slow down. Why is this car slowing down? It just passed me, going 80 miles per hour, and all of a sudden slowing down. Well, I found out why, because in just a moment, a, a, a young doe came running out in front of his car and ran in front of my truck. And I, had, couldn't, I couldn't stop. I was going 70 miles per hour down the highway, and there was no place to go, and boom. You know, me and the, me and the doe had a meeting. Uh, fortunately, it didn't turn out good for the doe. Uh, and my car is still showing the damage as well. But God protected me. Well, I needed an angel right then to keep my, my, my car straight and not ver- veer off and hit the guy beside me or anybody else. God protected me. God protects us all the time. We, don't, we can't see the angels that are around us. I have no idea, but they're there. God promises to us. Wasn't it the faith of Moses that caused him not to be afraid of Pharaoh? He endured as what? Seeing him who was invisible. Moses saw God and was able to see him as bigger than Pharaoh and come to Pharaoh and point his finger at him and says, let my people go. He's talking about God's power. 
So there's times that we need to turn to the Word of God to get a perspective. The Bible opens our eyes so we can see the horses and chariots of fire that surround us. And it's beneficial to remember. Jesus Christ had this ability as well, though he did not use it. We know that when Peter pulled out his little, little puny sword and trying to you know, defend him there in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did Jesus say to him? Thinkest thou that I cannot pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? Jesus Christ had 72,000 mighty spirits chomping at the bit to intervene there at the cross. But the legions were idle because the cross was God's will for his life. So spiritual blindness can cause frustration and panic. But have you experienced the goodness, but maybe not responded in faith to obedience to his goodness? Have you neglected to see the wisdom of God because of our pride? We want to do things our way, do it our, 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 our way. But do you search the scriptures and do you follow exactly what God tells us because we know that his way is better than ours? Have you forgotten the omniscient knowledge of God? That he knows all of our ways, that nothing can be kept secret from him. Are you troubled at the prospect that maybe some of your secrets might be known by him? Take advantage of his confession and take those to the Lord. But do you panic like a blind man, not acknowledging the power of God or not understanding the presence of God? Again, he says to us, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. I have more healthy cells in my body than virus cells. Praise the Lord. And God can protect me. You know, are you comforted by that reality that God is always with you? Again, will the trials of life defeat us if we're looking to Christ? They shouldn't. Romans chapter 8, 37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Do not allow the danger of spiritual blindness to keep you from trusting God. In Isaiah 41.10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. Now there's one other problem with spiritual blindness we'll see next time I come. And uh, I just lost it. And that is, let's see, uh, it causes deception. We'll come back another time and present this message to you. Again, are you understanding the power and knowledge and love of God? Let's not be frustrated. And let's not panic like our world is. Let's remember who our God is and what he knows and how he protects us. And let's be bold in giving the gospel, bold in going forth and showing the world that we do not fear. We trust in him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your loving guidance to us. Even you've given us your angels, uh, to guard over us. We've also provided health and strength for our bodies. But yet we live in a world of frustration and panic and fear. Lord, help them, as we've sung in those songs before the service, uh, how they should see Jesus in us and how they should see the, the, the love of Jesus in our lives and they should see us living a life like Christ so that they can see how they should live 
without the frustration and without the panic. And help us to show by our trust in you that, that we do know that you are a good God. Even when you humble us and bring us through trials, you're still being good to us. You have given us the knowledge of God that we need. and You've given us the, the, the goodness of God that we have can proclaim. And we understand your power and your presence. Lord, help us to be a right example to the world around us of a believer who truly trusts in you. And help us even in the future as we go forward. Lord, the, the, we don't know the future. What other panics will come to our country and to our cities and to our own lives. Lord, help us though in all those ways to trust you. Because we know one day you're coming. And that one day we will live in eternity with you. Lord, help us not to be frustrated. And not to panic. And not to fear. We trust in you. We pray these things in your name.